This episode contains content about eating disorders that may be distressing for some listeners. Please skip past this episode if you believe it may not be for you. And if this episode does raise some issues for you, please reach out to Alex or the foundations that he works for. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Had a very special guest for this week's episode. I was lucky enough to sit down with Alex, who's the recovery ambassador for Eating Disorders Victoria. He also does work with the Butterfly Foundation. Uh, he's a student dietitian with only a semester to go. and But more importantly, he's recovered from an eating disorder himself. It goes into his full story, and we're very, very lucky to be able to hear it. And it's um, so amazing that he was able to share that with us because... There's a lot of amazing lessons in there and definitely a topic that I think doesn't get spoken about enough. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I want to sit down with Alex so he could raise a bit of awareness. Um, I don't think it gets spoken about enough. Um, I don't think there's enough that is uh, yeah, shared about it. So um, one of the more eye-opening experiences listening to Alex break down his story. Um, but we also talk a little bit of nutrition towards the end. As I said, he's a student dietitian but an absolute professional uh very knowledgeable on the subject so um i know you guys will take a lot of value out of this if you do please take a screenshot share it to your story uh tag me and tag alex because yeah there's a lot of lessons in there today alex welcome to the podcast mate hello hello nice to nice to be on here so nice to meet you mate yeah you too mate like as i said like i've known you from a bar of soap i've literally just uh few messages during the week reaching out man and um i'm super excited to have you on because obviously you're the recovery ambassador through eating disorders victoria and um the butterfly foundation which we'll definitely come back and touch on um which would be awesome mate but you know today it's a topic that uh, i know very little about and i think it doesn't get talked um about enough and you're doing a great job raising awareness and um yeah so i thought it was a no-brainer to reach out and get you here today mate which is going to be uh really valuable for for the listeners um but just to start man like maybe let's just talk about um how you got onto the path of where you are now and um yeah what kind of led you here to your recovery work and all that stuff yeah so i'll briefly say i'm I'm alex 23 i am a student dietitian um so i'm not quite qualified yet but i've got one more semester at monash uni to go and i'm very very keen to hit the ground running but um yeah, nearly finished dietetics and early on in my degree, I was very, very much down the stereotypical male dietitian wanting to be a sports route, da 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 all those sorts of things. But as I progressed through the degree, had my year off doing PT certs and starting to get, I guess, industry experience if you like, going back to uni and through everything we went through with COVID the past two years, I really started, I don't know, connecting with my past again, which is, I guess working in the space of eating disorders and body image and dietetics and probably looking back now um nearly nearing the end of my degree i kind of wish i studied a psychology degree and worked as a psychologist in the space but um i'm gonna i'm gonna pursue this passionately as a dietitian and be able to do great work hopefully but yeah so as as we've already introduced i've i'm a identify as a dude that has recovered from an eating disorder and I could speak about it for hours on end, but I guess it. I first started experiencing symptoms or I would say cognitions in line with disordered eating all the way back to when I was like 10 years old and my parents got divorced. Um, and I'll preface this by saying that I'm a very anxious person by nature, very obsessive person by nature ever since I was a little kid. So just hinting towards anxiety and obsessive natures and being a a perfectionist, having low self-esteem, all of these things can, I guess, contribute to risk factors to developing an eating disorder. So I already had all of these things in my DNA, already going around in my brain, if you like. And when mum and dad got divorced, um, on reflection now, that was a big, big trigger moment, a big life-changing shift that happens. When you grow up in a house with married parents, they're supposed to be rocks, your stability. um, And when that falls apart and you see your two rocks in life fall apart when you've already got all those foundations like I was talking about before being very anxious and obsessive and having low self-esteem all of these things that it, it rocks the boat rocks the boat to give an example Absolutely. big time 
Yeah. Um, so I started comfort eating as a little kid and playing footy, being a primary school around other kids. So I started gaining weight, putting on body fat and um, started getting bullied by other people at school, other people in the footy setting and people would start verbally bullying me, physically bullying me and I was starting to really internalize these messages and paying increasing attention to my body to what average 10 year olds normally do and started becoming really, really, really self-conscious about I guess what my body looked like and how I was performing in sport and maybe why I couldn't run as well as other other people my age. So increasingly became more and more self-conscious. And then if you add these in a maths equation, if you want to use a metaphor with already having low self-esteem, already feeling like I couldn't control anything in my life, seeing my parents' marriage break down, I, I turned to food and exercise in a, in a different way through starting to be really, really restrictive with what I was eating, starting to over-exercise and become really obsessive with how much I would exercise at home in secrets and any opportunity I got, I would exercise. And I would look for ways to cut back on the total amount of food I was eating. I was starting to read nutrition labels. I was starting to, I guess, not want to buy takeaway food anymore or not want to treat myself with my grandparents or my parents anymore. And I was losing weight rapidly. Because when you're about to hit puberty, your body's going through tremendous growth. I was being very active in footy, school sport, and all the other exercise which I mentioned I was doing. And when your body is growing, and when you add all this extra stress onto it through excessive exercise, and you're cutting back on food like no kid or anybody should be doing for that matter, your body is under a whole lot of stress. And... I ended a, entered a negative energy balance and what you know, I started losing weight rapidly and um, my mum my was the first one to notice because I was living here at the time and yeah, she started to notice that I was losing weight very rapidly and that was only the, the surface if you like. Well, the other thing she was noticing was my high levels of anxiety and obsession around food, my excessive amounts of exercise compared to what I used to do, how often I was checking my body in the mirror, how self-conscious I was in certain clothes and um, she started to, yeah, verbalize her anxiety towards me and took me to a dietitian. and won't go into too much detail because this dietitian comes back into things later, but, um, he helped get me back on track. I was very impressionable as a young boy, um, being only 11 years old at the time and really listened to the dietitian, really re-educate me on what healthy eating for an 11 year old boy was that was being as active as I was and. I really started to form trust in him. So I listened to him and started re-nourishing my body appropriately and being a little bit more appropriate or quote unquote normalized with my exercise and sport. And I got back on track and my, uh, I won't say BMI because I don't really use that for kids and teenagers, but my, my growth, how my growth was tracking was more appropriate again, weight and height wise. So yeah, yeah, that's, well, that, that's the first, um, first wave. Yeah. Huge man. That's uh. That's some crazy stuff right there. And I guess you see it in a lot of people, like when things are going wrong uh, externally, when it, they reach for food for joy and like at, at such a young age, man, that must have been crazy hard. But um, one thing I would love to touch on um, is obviously you talked about the physical side of things where, uh, you know, you're dropping your weight and stuff like that, over-exercising. Like how far down the rabbit hole did you go with your kind of exercise? And you see it a lot now with people when they want to lose weight, they kind of start so high, like eat stuff all food and then exercise uh, like no tomorrow. So how full on was the exercise during that time? Pretty, pretty extreme. And I'll say this now, that I'm not going to go into any detail about, let's say, amount of time that I exercise or specific modes of exercise or, uh, and again, with food, the amount of calories or the specifics, just because it can be quite triggering for yeah. other eating disorder, people course, experiencing yeah. eating disorders or I guess starting to head towards an eating disorder. So I won't go into specifics, but what I will say is that most of my waking day was either revolved around thinking about food, planning what food I was going to eat, looking up nutrition labels in supermarkets online, and in terms of exercise, any opportunity I would get, whether it was going outside for a run, whether it was doing bodyweight exercise in my room, any opportunity I could get to move my body and exercise, I would do it. And it would, the main thing I want to get across is it would literally occupy most of my day and most of my brain about what I was thinking about, what I was engaging in. And like you mentioned, um, 
the physical presentation through weight loss is only the surface. It's only the tip of the iceberg, if you like, the things that people may notice at first. What's actually driving an eating disorder and body image concerns goes deep, deep, deep into someone's psychology. Yeah. And that's the main thing that needed to be addressed. Yeah. Massive, man. Yeah. Uh, wow. Some heavy stuff there, but awesome points, mate. That's some good stuff. And like, I guess, as you said, like it can be quite triggering and stuff like that. But what are some of the signs of eating disorder and, and things like, I mean, when you said you could like obsess over yourself in the mirror and stuff like that, like I've definitely had times when I've done that, um, when I've struggled with um, being quite a young boy and I can relate a little bit, obviously not as, not as deep level, but I was always a big kid. Like I was always quite large. I, I've been over a hundred kilos at times. And um, yeah, I can definitely relate, man. Like there's a lot in primary school and stuff. I was quite bullied as well. As you know, kids can be quite mean, especially like sporting clubs and stuff like that without intentional, obviously. Mm. Um, but what are some kind of early signs of an eating disorder? Well, I really love the points you raised there, Zach, because I guess quote unquote normal eating and a clinically diagnosed eating disorder exists on a spectrum. And some people will go most, if not their whole lives, being fairly normalized in their eating, their exercise, and their body image. Some people will be diagnosed with an eating disorder and have to go undergo significant therapy. But some other people may may or may be more likely to stay somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. And I guess the first, the first stage of developing, let's say, disordered eating is becoming preoccupied and becoming preoccupied i mean thinking about food and maybe planning food and maybe worrying or starting to obsess about food slightly more than what the quote-unquote average population would i guess paying a little bit more attention to your body what it looks like in the mirror how it fits into your clothes and holding how your body looks um let's in this example use in a negative way a little bit closer to your self-esteem or to your identity than what, again, what the average population will. So you're starting to think about and become worried about your food, your exercise, and how your body looks and feels more often than what the average population would. Yeah. So I guess I want to say that if you notice somebody around you, I guess, starting to become a little bit more obsessed or preoccupied with food, with exercise, or negatively around their bodies than what they have been at any other time in their life, that's when you should start, I guess, paying attention. Yeah. And then as we move on from there to, let's say, disordered eating, that's not a clinically diagnosed eating disorder, but it's starting to get to the point where it's really starting to interfere with someone's life. So yeah. i keep it general, the eating habits or the eating patterns, um, how much or the kind of exercise they're doing or how they're commenting on their bodies, how, much, how worried about their bodies are or how, how worried they are about how their bodies look, I should say. If that's really starting to progress and take over their life and interfere with things in their life like their work, their relationships, their study, just their general activity as they do um, in their day-to-day life, that's when you can start maybe considering they've got disordered eating patterns developing. And that's a very general way of me saying it, but I guess what I want to say is the more that it starts to interfere with how that person usually is and how much it starts to take over their life, that's when you should start being, let's say, concerned about their well-being and start to consider approaching someone gently. Yeah, huge, man. Oh, some massive points there. And I, I think just to revert back about the whole, um, the way that you feel in your clothes and the way that you feel um, about your body, it's such a massive point. Like I have, obviously, um, training people and all that, we go through like you've PT as well. Um, sometimes the biggest tell is how you actually feel in your own skin and the way you feel in your clothes, you know what I mean? Absolutely, um, man. yeah. But like, yeah, some huge points, mate. I absolutely love all that. And I guess driving to the next point, like how big of a role does uh, positivity within your own body and your body image and self-compassion have to do with eating disorders? Like how big of a role does that play? Significantly. And oh gosh, I don't know where to start with this. Um, <laughs> I'll start off by saying, I'm mentioning a researcher that I um, really, really, really look up to. His name's Jake Lenarden. Um, you'll probably recognize him as Break Binge Eating on Instagram. And, and or his website break binge eating or just, you can just find through google and some I'll of his i'll put all that stuff in the show notes yeah as perfect well. man perfect um i did a post on one of his papers that he released i can't remember what year it was in but it was on like you just mentioned positive body image self-compassion and intuitive eating and all of these things are 
preventative factors against developing disordered eating. So let's say, like I said before, someone's starting to become preoccupied with their bodies, preoccupied with their eating, their exercise, um, which a lot of the population does. A lot of the, not much, be, very, be very general here, but most people that go to a personal trainer or join a gym or do something like that, not everyone, but I'd say a percentage of them yeah, will be definitely. starting to get preoccupied with their bodies. And they, they won't necessarily develop disordered eating and eating disorders. They could revert back to say, quote unquote, normal eating again. But some people are at greater risk of moving towards disordered eating and eating disorders. And what Jake Lenardo and his fellow researchers found was that people who, I guess, develop more positive body image, um, not necessarily positive body image, but just a more neutral perspective on what their bodies mean and how closely they held how their bodies looked to their identity and their self-esteem, how self-compassionate they were in times of distress and being realistic about what they want to achieve within their whole life scope and then how intuitively they actually ate compared to using extrinsic measures like meal plans or meal food trackers or whatever you want to use um, could actually prevent developing disordered eating and in a little while I can talk about my recovery journey for my second wave of my eating disorder and how I guess getting more in touch with those three things has really helped me yeah nice yeah. mate yeah huge and that, that was actually going to push me on to our next point like I would love to know how you kind of um, engineered out of your the way you were when you were such a young boy. So talk me through the um, recovery process, if you don't mind, the way you worked with your dietitian and how do you kind of turn that around for yourself? Absolutely, man. Great question. Um, I'll, I'll be brief about the second wave of my eating disorder, which was the most uh, significant one, I should say. It's just crazy because yeah. you're such a young boy, man. Like, yeah, man. Yeah. Just a boy, 11 years old. Yeah. Like, yeah I'm Not many people, this is a good point for me to drop it, that the stereotype around eating disorders is the white thin privileged female most people hear the word eating disorder and they think of a extremely thin model on a catwalk right dude you just took away one of my yeah. main points yeah, yeah. <laughs> when yeah most people and that's and that's not their fault for thinking that no way, they need no to educate way. themselves but i guess the general stereotype is that presentation where so many more people whether it's males whether it's people who identify as non-binary whether it's people of color no matter whether there's people in larger bodies or quote unquote normal bodies, anybody can experience an eating disorder. So um, I feel like it's very important for me as, as a boy, someone who's less, who's less, I guess, I don't wanna say less noticed, but less expected to have had an eating disorder. Um, I wanna start speaking out about it. But I guess the second wave of, of mine was when I was 14. Um, I was in year eight, 14 year old boy in high school, and I was again starting to become really obsessed with quote unquote fitness. So previously I was obsessed about losing weight and being as small or lean as possible, whereas this time I was being more and more obsessed with quote unquote being athletic and fit and wanting to run really well. And it was a really, un, I guess, mentally fragile time or susceptible time as a, as a young teenager trying to form my identity. Absolutely. Um, starting to be attracted to, to ladies and wanting them to be attracted to me. And I'm like, how do I how do I be attractive? How do I feel good about myself? And I got, again, anxious, low self-esteem, obsessed with running and being fit and athletic. And I, I got to halfway through the year. So I was getting really preoccupied, again, with my body image and my exercise but, and food, but I was still eating enough to keep me, keep me fueled, have enough energy availability to, to be able to exercise well and perform. But I broke up with a girlfriend halfway through the year. Again, I was only 14. Um, and then that's when I really, 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 really started turning inwards and focusing on being as athletic as I possibly could to, to feel better about myself and to try and somewhat raise my self-esteem. And I just, I guess, without going into detail, spiraled from there. I ate less and less and less, exercised more and more and more. Got to the point with running where I, my knees were so painful that I couldn't run anymore. And then I turned to cycling and swimming instead and it got to the point where my parents took me back to the same dietitian, but at this point I was so psychologically ingrained in the eating disorder and so physically malnourished that that's something that people forget. When someone is so malnourished, they don't actually have the cognitive capacity or the, the thinking capacity to be able to, to reason or to hear logic or to trust other people. And I just didn't, 
take anything in that the dietitian said. And about a month later, I was admitted to, to hospital um, uh, here in Melbourne. And yeah, on a, on a hospital ward with, I think, about four other eating disorder patients for about a month. And that was one of, yeah, one of the most traumatic experiences that I've, I've ever enjoyed. And I was informed, I'll just, I'll just say this to mention the potentially lethal aspects of an eating disorder that I had about two days to live when I was admitted. And that's, it should never take anybody, let alone in this example, someone with an eating disorder to, to have to hear that, to realize the severity. But unfortunately, yeah, when, when the nurse told me that and essentially forced me down to the bed and said, you're not going anywhere, you, you're about to die. That's when I, I said, Shit, all right, I need, to, I, need to, I need to start listening. I need to try to start listening. Um, and again, I'll reiterate, it shouldn't take someone getting to that point physically, but th- I just want to highlight the potentially lethal consequences of an eating disorder. Um, and that's when it really shifted for me. And again, I won't go into details of the hospital environment, but that's when I really started to to begin my recovery journey. And I really started, the first couple of weeks were, again, extremely challenging and traumatic. And I went through many, many, many stages of wanting to give up and not wanting to try anymore. And it was just, I just didn't want to comprehend what was going to be involved. Um, at that point, a person's eating disorder is screaming at them inside their brain so loudly with the amount of food they have to eat, with the amount of little amount of exercise we're allowed to do being bed bound after eating the amount of food we have to eat and it really 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 took a whole lot of i don't know what the right word is but acceptance i'll use loosely to accept that i could no longer let the eating disorder do this to me and about halfway through my brain really started to to become renourished and i did start to slowly feel myself coming back again. I started to, I guess, whenever I went through a dark depressive wave with eating disorder thoughts, I'd write them down within a red pen. And then when I'd go through a positive wave where I was starting to connect with myself again in my own brain, I would I would write that down in green pen. And whenever I did start going back into a dark wave again, I would read these green, green pen points out aloud to myself to really start trying to combat my eating disorder. Um, but anyway, a month later, uh, I was discharged. And when someone's discharged from hospital, it's not, okay, you're better now, see you later. It's it's to a point where you're medically stable from a physical standpoint to be, from a doctor's duty of care, allowed to go into the community. But you are still psychologically unwell and you need to, you need to engage in ongoing dietetic care, ongoing psychological care and ongoing medical monitoring at a regular basis to be able to make sure that you are still moving in the right direction or the healthy direction. And I was, I was fortunate enough to never be readmitted because I promised myself that I would, I would never end back up in hospital. Um, that's not to say people who do relapse and go back into hospital that have failed themselves. That is not the case. Um, everyone's recovery journey is different, but my own goal to myself was to not go back in. And I was fortunate enough to not, but I still engaged in, in dietetic counseling with my dietitian, the same one that helped me back when I was 11 for the next, I'm gonna do the maths in my head now, next three to four years. I was seeing him at a somewhat regular basis to want to go counseling and nutrition therapy and to really understand what it meant to fuel my body adequately. And what helped the most with him was Obviously, he was experienced with eating disorders. However, he he worked mutually with me, not from a top-down approach where he was just instructing me in a dogmatic way everything I had to do. He worked with me. And the more I proved that I wanted to recover and really engage in his advice through his nutrition therapy, the more he slowly allowed me to, to reintroduce exercise and to reintroduce other forms of physical activity and slowly transition back towards eating in my own regulated way away from a meal plan and that mutual trust between myself and 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 the clinician being my dietitian really helped me obviously have a person i could trust but also i could learn to trust myself again seeing that he was trusting me and yeah the journey was was onwards from there fuck man <laughs> actually like at like send me i didn't even know what to say back to that that's um 
probably one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. Um, as you saw, like I, I was probably a bit choked up. Like I was actually like lost for words for a little bit. So I was hoping you wouldn't pass it back for a while. <laughs> oh, mate, that is some like crazy stuff right there. Um, obviously, not just from a mental standpoint, but physically. Like, and that's kind of my my next question, man. What kind of physical physical toll did that take? And um, obviously, like very very little food and slowly going back to exercise but what kind of physical toll did that take on you like even again still so young um so talk me through that man so again i was um yeah similar to my first exam my first wave of an eating disorder i was technically still growing as a 14 year old boy um adolescence is a rapid period of growth where your your body is just growing and growing and chewing up through energy that you are feeding it so for me to be engaging in unhealthy I'll say amounts of exercise and giving myself insufficient nutrition. Um, the body, even if someone wasn't growing, would start to have to eat itself. But with myself having being a growing adolescent as well, my body, your body has to access energy from somewhere to be able to do everything that it has to do to Absolutely. to keep tissue on it, let alone to build more tissue when it's growing. So. When the body isn't fed food, it starts chewing through its its fat stores. When there's not insufficient fat stores available, it starts chewing through its muscle stores. When there isn't enough muscle left to chew through, it starts chewing through its organs. And anything it can find on your body to create ATP out of, yeah. your body will do it. And that really, like you mentioned, starts to take a toll. And your all of your organs, like your brain, your heart, your kidneys your liver, your intestines, all of these organs start to break down because they're not getting enough fuel and they're having its tissue taken away from it to start fueling its body's body's functions to keep it alive. And when that happens, not only are you losing weight, but like I just said, your heart starts breaking down and can't beat as prop beat as sufficiently, let alone get blood and nutrients around your body. Your immune system starts shutting down so you're more susceptible to infection. Your liver can't process toxins as well. Your kidneys can't filter the blood as well. So everything in your blood that's usually controlled in a really tight manner um, isn't controlled as well. And electrolytes can start to go out of whack. Your blood pressure can start to become extremely low. If you stand up too quickly, you'll probably faint. Obviously you can't function well because your blood glucose levels are so low and your muscle tone is so low that you you don't want to do anything. You just want, you barely want to get up and move, let alone exercise. And your reproductive function seizes. So in women, they lose their periods quite a lot earlier than the point that I was at physically. Um, what else do I want to say? Your digestion slows down significantly, let alone from the little amount of food you're giving it, but your gut can't function at which it normally does. So some people develop what's called gastroparesis, where their stomach doesn't empty properly, they become constipated let alone they can't absorb as much nutrition out of their food anymore. There's there's so much physically yeah, that occurs yeah. that leads to the body breaking down. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's crazy, man. I didn't know that went that far down the rabbit hole. Like I knew that your body starts to shut down, but in terms of like um, the, the most detail there with the heart and all that, uh, just absolutely crazy, mate. Um, again, like it's such great detail, man. You obviously know so much about it, which is awesome. Like you're giving us an amazing insight here. It's, it's the best, mate. It's so good. Um, but let's fast forward a little bit. You've you've come out of it. You said you've been with your dietitian for the recovery thing was about three to four years. Yeah. Um, you spent pretty solid time with him. What's the process from there? Like how do you slowly get back into training? Because you're quite... Um, quite obviously into your training you became a pt you went down that path so talk us through um physically getting back to being quote unquote normal you so i'll start with the dietitian I'll, I'll start transitioning away from that he he really helped me relearn what it took to to fuel my body adequately which is someone in an eating disorder recovery journey really shouldn't be exercising until they're physically nourished enough and maintaining their weight and their medical stability let alone psychological stability. So I was starting to get to a point where I was becoming more stable in those means. So I was slowly allowed to reintroduce running at a very, very, very low frequency, very slowly allowed to start playing footy again. This is when I was about 15 to 16. Again, um, such a young yeah, age, man. Yeah. Like it's so young. Um, and I was at this point in time, and I'll get to it, but on reflection, it's good that I was, 
I was not allowed to straight away, but I was increasingly wanting to get into the gym and lift weights like most most other guys my age were starting to do. 15, 16, they were getting gym memberships and starting to move iron. How hard was that for you to kind of get into the gym? Because obviously you spoke about um, just a big volume of exercise. What was it like for you, if, you know, first time kind of getting into a gym and growing, trying to grow in there? So it was it was very interesting. So I, was, I wasn't allowed to go for a good year. Yeah. Um, simply because psychologically I wasn't at a point where I should be yeah. from a body image standpoint. And I'll get to this in a little while, but it was when I was allowed to start training at the end of end of year 10, I think it was. I was about 16, yeah, end of year 10. Um, I was finally allowed to get into the gym and it was, it was invigorating. It was really, really invigorating to, at that time point, have a history of exercising in a way which broke my body down um, in a in a destructive, obsessive manner, but then I was invigorated by wanting to step into a gym and start lifting weights to, I guess, build myself up. And look, on reflection, there was some elements of, of I guess, I don't want to use the word too strong, but toxicity there, where I was still, still had very low self-esteem and poor body image, but at the same time, I was also just wanting to be a 16-year-old guy to jump into the gym with other guys and start lifting weights. And it was at least at the start, invigorating to want to want to move weights and build my body up and to engage in a new type of exercise, which I never had before because it was always running. So I, I couldn't wait to step in. But I guess as the years went on, um, early university where I was, I was physically recovered, but still, again, I'll use the term loosely, mentally unstable, if you like, with my body image, I started to go down the other end of the spectrum where I... We started to become obsessed again with wanting to build as big of a muscly body as possible. And I didn't want to, I wasn't educated at that time what it took to do that. But at the same time, what was stopping me from being educated was fear of a fat gain because I had a very minimal, low understanding that it, you had to put some body fat on to build muscle mass at that time. Very, very common. Yeah. Like, people, yeah. I want, to, I want to build muscle, but I don't want to put on fat. Very That's common, it. Yeah, isn't it? extremely. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was the prime example of that, but probably to a slightly greater extent because I had those risk factors going back to those where I was very anxious, very obsessive, and had very low self-esteem. And I was fixated on wanting to build as much muscle as I could, but not put any body fat on. So I would just pound myself with gym sessions for hours, but then still make myself run several times a week to at that point in time, I was obsessed with building the, the, the body image idea, which I didn't know was just un, unrealistic. Um, and that really led me down the opposite rabbit hole where I just became so obsessed with my, my eating and my training was just solely, or I should say in my life, again, going back to before, I was obsessively preoccupied and disordered to the point where my life revolved around eating, exercising, and stopping anything else that could get in the way of me building this body. Yeah. And I didn't understand or see at the time that it was it, it was toxic, it was unhealthy, and it was just pretty much everything that I had, was going through all those years ago, but now on the opposite end of the spectrum. I just, I wanted to shut down my life essentially to to build this body, and now upon reflection, because I I had such poor self-esteem and such a poor self-identity that I was trying to fill all these voids through looking a certain way. Yeah. Because I was so insecure about myself as a person. And it got to that stage. The peak of that stage was probably, oh, I'm going to say very loosely, about uh, two years ago now, two to three years ago now. It was about 2021. 20, I, I really reached the peak of that before I started, I guess, knowing that I had to change. Yeah. Yeah, nice man. Uh, again, some some awesome insight there and really good stuff. When you're going through these trading phases, do you have to report back to your dietitian? Is it all pretty like logged? So all the way back when I was 16, first getting into the gym, yes, I um I I was still working with my dietitian, and I, I yeah I like the way you put it. I did have to report back, and what that was was seeing him very roughly from my memory about once a fortnight. I was still going to see my dietitian reviewing my nutrition, reviewing my, what I was eating, how much I was eating, how adherent I was being to what he was um, asking of me. And he was also helping me with how much exercise I was doing in the gym as well. And I had to yeah, report back to him on a consistent basis to be allowed to keep doing what I was doing, um, just to make sure I was being 
excuse me, monitored and keeping safe about the way I was doing things. But as he built trust in me, um, and as I got further towards the end of high school, very roughly, again, with memory, I was about 17, um, year 11, when I didn't have to see my dietitian anymore, and when I didn't have to keep going to the hospital for outpatient appointments, because they were satisfied with my, with my medical stability. But I guess psychologically, at the time, I was still very um, resistant against getting the help that I needed to get, that I was refusing to get. And so a few years later, when I, like I was talking about, starting to become obsessed with my body image from the other end of the spectrum, um, is when I realized, okay, there's so much psychological work that hasn't been done that I really need help with. Yeah, yeah, huge man. Um, yeah, obviously still like so young at that time. And it's just something we just do, like we just never think that, we need to help and stuff. And it's one of the biggest drivers I have with whether it be clients or even myself, like um, when I talk to you about being so big, like the only thing that turned it around for me was when I actually started working on what was going on up in my head, you know what I mean? So yeah. like started meditating, started journaling, uh, writing things down. And that's when I was able to actually lose weight because I was taking care of about the most important thing. So um, yeah, it's such a, obviously, not as deep as you went, but the relatable part in terms of taking care about what's upstairs is always like, I think number one for everything. Like, is that the main thing for you? you absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So much stems from, from our psychology, so much stems from our psychology. And again, I'm sure this will open up another route of discussion, but we could go all day with this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Everybody, everybody needs to prioritize and take care of their minds and their psychology and themselves. But notoriously us blokes are pretty pretty terrible at, oh, yeah. at at being open about our thoughts about being open about our feelings about communicating why do you think that is it is common with men to be like that stigma i feel yeah i feel and i i, I feel based on my limited knowledge and what i'm seeing that there's starting to be a movement about it's becoming more quote unquote I hate saying is normalized for, for blokes to be able to communicate their feelings 100% but yeah there's so much more awareness now which is great it's also it's needed awesome. but, yeah. I, but I think that um, previous generations and anything that's still lingering like that which unfortunately in guys our age it, it still is lingering here and there but there's a stigma against guys being quote unquote soft for wanting to for, for, for I hate the word but struggling with something or I like the word enduring something that they need help with and having, I guess, thoughts and feelings that are destructive towards themselves and needing help with thoughts and feelings that are very, very hard to deal with by themselves. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I couldn't answer that any better. That's awesome. But um, let's fast forward, mate. I mean, yeah, the stuff you've opened up to us about has been absolutely amazing, man. And thank you so much for being an open book. But let's, um, let's focus on when it started to really turn around for you, like when you start to really get a hold of um, kind of your mental demons and as you said such a young boy like when did it start to really click for you and turn around onto the path you are now so I feel like it was again there's no set date I can put it down to but I'll say very roughly two to three years ago where I really started to I guess feel lonely and isolated um, I've never been a very extroverted person but I was starting to get lonely and realized that I'm missing out on experiences around me. I'm missing out on making friends. I'm lonely. I'm, I don't know if it's the right word, but bored with my life. And I want, I genuinely started craving being more mature, connecting with more people and seeing more and participating in more in my life other than a regimented eating and exercise pattern and yeah. critiquing my body on a never ending basis. I was, I was sick of that. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a life to me and I genuinely did still have an interest and passion for health, but I guess what really started changing my perspective on what health meant is when I realized all of this effort, which was actually obsession that was going into eating and, and exercising a certain way, what about all the other domains or aspects of health that I was completely and utterly neglecting? Like my psychological health, I wasn't happy. I wasn't content with my body. I wasn't comfortable or content with my life that I was living. I didn't have a clear direction of where I wanted to go. I wasn't making social connections through other romantic or just general friendly relationships or at the workplace. I'm, like, I'm not a healthy person. And I didn't have to be healthy at the click of a finger straight away, but I wanted to start building a, 
a, a more mature and a more, I'll use the word loosely, holistic view on what health actually was. And I started to, I guess, engage in some more self-help. And the first book I read was Mark Manson's, The Satellite of Not Giving a... I don't yeah. know if you want to beat that later. No, um, I, can, <laughs> I think we got, uh, we've got three F words, I think, before the podcast becomes an um, explicit one. So, yeah, cool. we've still got a couple more in the bank. <laughs> Satellite of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark, by Mark Manson. Um, one, of the, one of my all-time favorite books. It I've read it too. It's good, yeah. Genuinely changed my mind and clicked a switch in my mind and really helped me realize, wow, I'm unhealthily anxious. I need to start working on my mind. And I decided to start seeing a psychologist and communicating, talking to them about about my anxiety, about my depression, about my past, and really starting to learn about myself. And through that, through some books, and through consistently reflecting more and more and more on my on my own mind on the ways that I thought on what I was doing in life I started to shift and yeah soon after I, I got into my first I guess adult relationship ever um, I had had high school relationships but my first sincere adult relationship was very roughly again three to six months after I started working on my mind and that's where I realized obviously you don't have to be in a relationship to be healthy but I realized that something was changing. I was starting to shift. Um, There's still so much work to be done, but things were starting to shift. And I guess to, without harping anything, the more I reflected on the way I thought and the more that I learned about reasons behind why I was anxious, reasons behind why I was depressed, reasons behind why I was feeling certain ways about my body, it helped me to cope with my anxiety more, to address things, contributing to those things more and to start changing or molding my life in different ways that I wanted to. And with that came, I guess, other ways of de-escalating my anxiety that became ways of me finding more fulfilling activities or just directions in life, which really started to help with my depressive symptoms. I started to find other things in my life that I was proud of or or liked about myself or things that I wanted to work on, which started to help me build a better sense of my identity, what I valued in my life or about myself and where I wanted to take my life. And I guess all of these things connecting together, like one big jigsaw puzzle really started to shape direction. And I don't want to stand on some pedestal now. I still identify as someone with severe anxiety, um, still identify as someone who goes through waves of depression, but I can also identify as someone who has an ability to reflect on certain cognitions of mine and I guess have the strength to reach out to people, have the strength to to accept my thoughts for what they are and to try and deal with them rather than coping with them unhealthily or running away from them if you like. And when I really identified who I was as a person and what I valued the most, it really started to, to shift where I wanted to take my career. I really started to head towards the eating disorders and mental health space because um, I won't go through them dot by dot, but my values and what I'm good at and what I enjoy doing lines up perfectly with going back into the realm of eating disorders and working as a dietitian with people who are enduring eating disorders and other body image concerns and helping them to, to pursue recovery, just not just like I did, but helping them to find their pursuit of recovery and mainly focusing on that through nutrition. I love that, mate. I love that you are have really taken on that kind of not run from it, but own it kind of thing. And now you're going back to help others, which is great. And I think people just remember back to people really underestimate the power of books. I reckon like I started to get into reading probably a couple of years ago. I reckon it's such a massive help. Like I've read the the book that you're talking about. And when you talk about values and, and kind of what you want to do and the life you want to live, it really breaks that down in that book. Um, so yeah, I think people really underestimate that side of um, reading and, and learning and getting self-help, which is huge, man. And some, again, amazing points. And obviously now student, you're almost done one semester to go. Um, so yeah, it'd be rude of me not to talk about some nutrition stuff with you, um, which will be great. But I guess my, my first thing about nutrition, and obviously this is such an open-ended question, and I know you could take it so many different ways, man. But um, 
what are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about nutrition and what's your kind of advice around that? Like, I know this, it's an open question, but just in your opinion, like what are some of the biggest ones? I might have to use another F word. Yeah, no, go for it, man. (laughs) No, no, no. You got two left. (laughs) (laughs) I might kind of use another F word. Um, Gosh, mate, that's a a big question. Um, We can go far down this rabbit hole. Where do I want to start? I'll start on the phrase of diet culture. And again, I could talk for hours about this, but there is, and, and diet culture again is on a spectrum. Everything's on a spectrum. Everything is on a spectrum. Everything's relative, but you can have subtle diet culture and you can have extreme full-blown diet culture. I'll use examples of like full-blown diet culture would be um, pushing calorie deficits and pushing nutrition on people to create fat loss irrespective of their goals. It would be God, juice cleanses, it would be detoxes, it would be elimination of certain food groups, it would be extreme fasts for no valid reason. I guess people have this concept of food is good or food is bad. Food is healthy or food is unhealthy. You should be eating in a certain way to hold a certain body to meet body image standards and if you don't, then you're unhealthy or you're lazy or you're unmotivated or you're undisciplined. And you need to follow strict meal plans. You need to track your calories. You need to be regimented about your food and nutrition. And if you slip up or you go off those paths, then you don't want it bad enough or you, you're not a healthy person or you don't understand what good nutrition is. Um, all of these things that I've mentioned are extreme versions of diet culture. And some people push this from a place of, they have good, intentions but they push it very ignorantly and then you've got people who are body obsessed who use their i guess false sense of what adequate nutrition is to put themselves in a moral pedestal thinking that they're or they connect how quote unquote healthy they are with a moral high ground and they try and push it on other people to help themselves feel better I guess there's so much toxicity and ignorance and misdirection about what adequate nutrition actually is. And again, I can keep going further (laughs) with this to what health is, but I guess if you ask what is good, quote unquote, good nutrition, or if you ask what is quote unquote healthy, there is no answer because it is different for every single person. And the whole concept around the body image ideals whether that's a male being muscular with, I guess, big arms, big chest, ripped abs, who can do anything athletic, and a lady who is um, in a quote-unquote sports bikini model body and eating to meet those body image ideals. There is so much toxicity around quote-unquote healthy nutrition meeting those standards. And anything that doesn't meet those standards is people who are quote-unquote naughty or lazy or bad and... I feel like so much of this is just wrapped up and warped and I guess feeds into so many different industries and it leads so many people on, I guess, unhealthy and upsetting, miserable paths, whether, whether they end up with disordered eating and eating disorders or whether they, they end up in a consistent cycle of, of never meeting their goals because they're chasing goals they don't actually want. They feel like they have to reach and... I guess if you bring it back to, well, what is healthy nutrition then, then I'll answer it by saying it's different for everyone. Yeah, definitely, mate. And it's so hard to kind of drive to people that there's no such thing as good or bad food. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, oh, just the amount of stuff you hear, obviously, like from different industries, like you said, just the amount of stuff you hear about people's different views on what they should be doing to kind of lose weight and look a certain yeah. way. It kind of like... I don't want to say drives you insane, but like the information out there is, um, yeah, it can be pretty damning. You know what I mean? Like it can lead people down such a bad path. And I guess that's why we do what we do in a weird way. But, uh, mate, again, well answered. I know I gave you the open four and you could have gone anywhere with that. Um, I feel like I I was very negative with that. I I, I painted the picture of, I guess, the, the spider web out there yeah the very big convoluted messy spider web that's out there yeah that people get wrapped up in and trapped in unfortunately for years awesome way but i guess it, what yeah. i want to what i want to harp on now is the positive side of things where if you do 
want to pursue, let's just say it's a, a body goal. Let's say and someone- And it's not a bad thing if someone wants abs, you know what I mean? Like if you want to go out there and get abs or you want to grow your body and be, you know, big and strong, like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that if you want to get to that level. It's about why. Yeah. It's exactly. the reason why do you want to change your eating habits? Why do you want that body? Why do you want to do this? It, it, it's, it's less about what it is. So building muscle and getting jacked or wanting to eat in this way, the, the surface or the presentation isn't what's bad. It's, it's the well, reasons yeah. behind why. If someone wants to build muscle to challenge themselves, to perform better on the sporting field because it helps them feel good, then cool, that could, that could be a healthy goal for them. But if someone wants to get in the gym and get jacked because they hate themselves and they've got very poor self-esteem and they it's think that's gonna fix hole. their problems, yeah. it's unhealthy and I discourage it, you know? If someone wants to start increasing their fruit and vegetable intake to increase their fiber intake and to build a more round, holistic, nourishing, adequate diet, great. But if someone wants to load up in fruit and veggies to control their appetite because they feel like they eat too many quote unquote bad foods and they think they need to lose weight when they may not need to, then... And because they have poor body image, then that's that's another yeah, toxic absolutely. rabbit hole, you know? Yeah. It's all behind the reasons why somebody wants to do things. And wanting to, I guess, have a body-related goal or a nutrition-related goal isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I feel like everybody, whether it's dietitians, whether it's personal trainers, whether it's any other health professional need to do a little bit more digging behind why someone wants to achieve something rather than, oh, you want to lose weight? Yeah, oh, calorie it's deficit. such a generic one, man. And like, that's the biggest one with all my clients. You have to put emotion on it and ask why. Like if people just say, I want to lose weight, and you're like, well, I want to feel better with myself. Like it's such a generic mm. answer, you know? Like you really want to dig deep and find out why this person wants to do yeah. it. So as you said, like... Um, prescribing meal plans which is like obviously in our scope of practice we actually can't do we can only give nutritional advice um so figuring out why people want to do it whether it's extrinsic or within themselves um it plays such a massive role in you know leading them down that path which can lead to a dark rabbit hole like you said absolutely absolutely and some people will be quote unquote i say heavy quote unquote fine and they may they may not develop anything whereas other people Again, I'll bring it back to those risk factors I was talking about, whether it's low self-esteem, perfectionism, very anxious traits, if they've got interpersonal difficulties in their life. There's all of these if there's all of these things going on, bubbling below the surface, and they start to become obsessed with their bodies, obsessed with their food, their exercise, then that's where it can get dangerous and they can spiral towards something. So I'm heading towards being a practitioner in the, and again, we can, or we, if you don't want to, we don't have to that, um, go on to talk about this, but the, the health at every size space. I feel like that is a very misunderstood space or concept because health at every size isn't saying that someone should just stay in the body they are forever regardless and that they're not allowed to pursue any health related goals. That's not what it is. It's, it's saying that Everybody, regardless of their body shape and size, whether they're down this end of the spectrum and they're quote unquote smaller than the average population, if they're down this end of the spectrum and they're quote unquote larger than the average person, they shouldn't not be automatically assumed to be healthy or unhealthy or yeah. fit or unfit. They're just they're just a person in a certain body size and shape. And if they do, let's say that they do want to improve the way they eat, they do want to start exercising a little bit more let's just say that's their goal, then those behaviors and reasons behind forming those behaviors and goals should be the focus. Their body shape, their body size, their body weights, their waist circumference, their body fat percentage shouldn't be the focus. It's just a byproduct of the changes. If someone, let's say in a larger body as an example, does start to possibly lose some body fat, um, and get quote unquote fitter as part of their process of changing their diet and their exercise, cool. That's a byproduct, it is what it is. But if they don't, however their diet does improve and their exercise levels do go up and they do start feeling better in their life, then why does their body matter? That's the big one. Why does their body yeah. shape and size and body weight matter? That's it it shouldn't matter. Not at all, man. And I'm, it's such a big one as well. Like I always think 
you know, if I've got people in here who are getting stronger, they're, uh, when they get up out of their chair, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Um, when they pick things up, it's a lot easier and they improve yeah. their quality of life. Then that's to the me, thing. that's the goal. You know what I mean? That's the thing. Quality of life is exactly. the... The, the very eloquent phrase that I've been trying to say, but I've been rambling instead. <laughs> oh, no, quality no. of life and physical, social, mental, emotional quality of life. You can keep going to financial, spiritual. Quality of life is what health should be about. Health, health isn't being jacked with abs, but doing nothing else with your life and having no friends and being bored and lonely and miserable. That's not health. Yeah. That's, that's a body image ideal. That's not health. I you know, more, man. Yeah. quality of life in all domains of health is what people, I guess, with these goals would benefit from pursuing. Absolutely massive, man. That's uh, so well answered, mate. Absolutely. You helped me stuff. by saying quality of life. <laughs> That's what I've been trying to bloody find the whole time. <laughs> all good, man. Um, mate, I won't keep you much longer because we've touched on some crazy stuff. Like, honestly, thanks so much for being open book, but... Um, just before we go, man, talk about some of the work you do now with the foundations. Um, obviously, you touched on the school stuff, but what kind of work do you do within the foundations and what are they? Um, how do they go about helping people? I'm so grateful, man. So yeah, I'll, I'll get rid of my boring stuff myself. I'm nearly a dietitian. I want to pursue the eating disorder space. I'm a qualified PT and I really want to eventually get to the stage where I'm alongside my dietetics, helping people to form healthy relationships with exercise with my PT angle. That's over there, but the stuff, the volunteering that I'm doing with Eating Disorders Victoria and the Butterfly Foundation is, I guess, if you want to put a label on it, an ambassador role. So with Eating Disorders Victoria when and, and with Butterfly, whenever a, whether it's an, an inpatient program, whether, whether it's a group of people pursuing recovery, whether it's a media agency, whether it's a school, whatever it is, they will con- they'll contact EDV or Butterfly and ask for a lived experience speaker who has recovered themselves um, and has been, I guess, gone to go on a little bit of training to understand how to communicate things safely. Um, and then we'll go on and, and speak about our recovery journeys and try and, I guess, inspire or recover, inspire or encourage recovery in in others. And any sort of Victoria and Butterfly, both non-for-profit organizations, and they are dedicated towards could speak for hours, but I'll try and sum it up. Advocating, advocating for greater eating disorder awareness and understanding, for educating uh, so many different people, all the way from health professionals to recoveries, to students, to health professionals about what eating disorders are, how to approach people with eating disorders, how to help people with eating disorders. And they also provide, I guess, education, similar to what I was just saying, there is an abundance of resources on their websites and through training online. There's free training and there's paid training online through both foundations for health professionals, for carers, for the general public that want to build an understanding and awareness around what eating disorders are, how to help people with eating disorders and where to go for treatment and for help from an eating disorder. Yeah. And Butterfly Foundation have just... uh, I guess, really led or steered the development of what's called Wandi Narita. It's Australia's first residential treatment program or facility, I should say, on the Sunshine Coast, where people pursuing eating disorder recovery who uh, aren't, I guess, aren't able to head towards recovery at home as well as they want to, but also aren't wanting to pursue the traditional hospital inpatient route, they're able to apply and go to this residential treatment facility, which is, I guess, like I said, it's residential. It's almost like accommodation, if you like, but they're undergoing psychological and nutritional and medical therapy whilst there. And Butterfly has really steered the development of Australia's first one, like I mentioned before. And I'm really, really excited to hopefully see the development of more of those um, in future in Australia as I grow older here and hopefully seeing it become more accessible from a, a distance standpoint but also from a cost standpoint for a lot more people with eating disorders. Yeah, awesome, mate. Um, that's awesome stuff. Obviously doing some great work and as you said, like non-for-profit is massive as well. So um, when I draft it up, I'll put it in the show notes, mate. I'll put um, both the foundations there and obviously where... Uh, easy, mate. Definitely like easy done, no stress and where people can find you as well because obviously you put up... A lot of great content um, 
and mate, like people are going to get so much out of this. I've, as I was talking to you off air, like I don't know much about eating disorders, which is why I wanted to reach out and get you here today. And obviously I've learned a shitload from what I did. <laughs> man, Once... I just scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was about to say, man. Like I definitely would love to have you back. Cause I think we've just kind of like just, just broke the water a little bit. Um, and obviously so much more to touch on, man, but I won't ta- take any more of your time. Obviously, what you've said today has been absolutely amazing and I can't thank you enough for being such an open book. Um, it must have been so hard to talk about. I mean, I was trying not to put you off down here because I was like getting choked and then I was um, couldn't barely speak. But yeah, man, it's uh, an incredible story, right? story and I know a lot of people are going to get so much out of it. So thanks for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure, Zach. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm, I, my, my, what I really value in life now is caring for others and wanting to help others and be as honest as po- and transparent as possible and build trust in others that I, I want to help them, whether it's directly through therapy, whether it's indirectly through just raising awareness and getting my voice out there like this. And oh, yeah, I appreciate any platform I get to be able to do so. And if it helps one person listening, then bloody brilliant. That's the goal, man. That's the goal. But thanks, mate. I'll chuck all that in the show notes. I'll put your grabs up there. And again, thank you so much.